the people who have raised all the money get all the press and all the, you know, they're the darlings of, you know, they're on Fast Company cover and ink. And um, I just wish there was more talk about building slow growth, small companies. I don't know, as that's that's my bias is that's a real that's a real business is building a product that's a value that customers love and you can be profitable selling. And if I can't make money selling my razors, I'd rather just go out of business, right? I yep. mean, I don't want to waste the next 10 years working on something. So Hello everyone. Just kidding. This is Chris Powers and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business, investing, and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into The Fort. Excited to talk with Patrick Cadu today, the founder of Supply here in Fort Worth, Texas. We just start, We just stopped chatting for the last 15 minutes before recording and have some really cool stuff to cover but I'm just going to open it up to him to tell us a little bit about himself um, and what he's doing with Supply. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, excited to be here. So um, uh, Supply is a men's shaving and grooming brand. We sell premium men's shaving gear. We are proudly born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, our office is down um, on Barry and 8th. And uh, we actually grew our business out of our home and our garage in Fairmount, just south of Magnolia. So we're super proud. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be here on this podcast. So our flagship product is a single blade razor. The benefit of that razor is that it gives a smooth, comfortable shave, but without the irritation and ingrown hairs that a lot of multi-blade razors give for a lot of guys, myself included. Mm-hmm. Um, I invented that razor for this for those reasons. I've always struggled with irritation and, and razor burn um, in shaving. And so um, my background's in aerospace engineering. I worked at Lockheed Martin for eight and a half years. Had an awesome time there, but was ready to move on um, and had this idea and just kind of went with it. So I engineered this razor, um, launched it on Kickstarter in 2015 uh, with my uh, beautiful and extremely talented co-founder, my wife, Jennifer. And now we've been growing, you know, I guess it depends on your frame of reference slowly or, or quickly. Uh, to me, it's been quickly. Um, and now my wife and I do this full time. She was a teacher in Fort Worth ISD for eight years at the Young Women's Leadership Academy. She was one of the first, she was the first math teacher there. And um, so now we run it, we have a couple employees and uh, we're trying to keep up in a lot of ways. I love it. You said a few things in there I wanna key in on. Did this start as a side hustle Mm. um, prior to you jumping full speed into it? Yes, so for roughly the first year and a half. It was a night and week in the thing while I still kind of worked at Lockheed during the days. And the point at which I knew um, it was I, it, it had to be full time or not was was when I realized I was not doing either job as well as I knew I could or should be doing. So yeah. my, my day job was starting to suffer. My side job was uh, the growth was being stunted by my not doing giving it my full. So I took the leap uh, in January of um, that would be 2017. 
I can't keep track anymore. I think yeah. 2017. So it's been a couple of years. Is it fair to say that you found uh, or you discovered a part of yourself that you didn't know existed once it was 100% in? Oh, man. Um, I could talk all day about that. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, I, I'm always careful how I, how I talk about my time um, in the corporate world because I'm so thankful for the time I had there and the career I had and the opportunities I had. But I was not 100% hitting the, my potential or my joy in my work. And today I love what I do. I make a whole heck of a lot less money, to be honest with you, and I work <laughs> twice as much. But um, I, I have so much joy and passion in what I do now. And I do feel like I'm a completely different person yep. than I was, you know, three, four years ago. It's such a common thread. I don't think you, you can't explain to somebody how they'll feel about mm chasing their passion without yeah. them doing it. It's, it's an unexplainable thing. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, uh, I ride the roller coaster and the lows are <laughs> lower than they've ever been and the highs are higher. So it's not all, you know, roses, but yep. I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. Uh, it's fulfillment. You also mentioned Kickstarter. You're, um, we've done 38 episodes. You're actually the first uh, person I've chatted with right. that did uh, launch a product on Kickstarter. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, hundred percent. So um, I'm a fan of Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, we would not exist today without it. I believe that completely. Um, it's a very different thing today than it was in 2015 when we launched. Back then, I won't go into my whole philosophy of Kickstarter, but back then it was more of a real crowdfunding platform. For, for your listeners that don't know, essentially how it works is you have an idea, you put it up on the website, you say, hey, here's my idea for us. It was a product. You know, help us make this product come to life and you'll get a reward in exchange for, quote, backing our product. So for us, it was you 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 contributed like 60 bucks to the campaign and you would get a razor as a quote reward when we made the, the razor so you know the point is it raises capital that you don't have to start up a production line you right. know for a product like this that you can't just you can't just go buy 10 of these razors you know you, there's there's a decent uh, capital investment up front so we our goal was to 20k and so if we raise twenty thousand dollars the project is quote successful everybody you know i get all the money i get to go make the product and deliver it uh, we raised eighty thousand dollars on that first campaign with a goal of 20 with a goal of 20 yeah we were fortunate to get uh, some really um favorable press from some from some large outlets uh, again back then it was more of an organic kind of thing it's, yeah. cha it's changed a little bit today why what's changed about it today uh it's more of a play to pay to play platform. Got it. So, you know, we did a second campaign two years later and we raised uh, about $300,000, but excuse me, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think we had an ad budget of at least 60, 70, $80,000. So it. like, um, fa Facebook ads, you know, so all those million, you know, we raised $5 million on Kickstarter. I mean, they spent at least a million on ads. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's not like this organic thing. It's, it's more of a pay to play. Right. But, um, so you raise 80, mm -hmm. you shop for 20. <clears throat> yeah. Nobody's getting equity. They're just getting no equity. a razor or if you give more money, maybe you get two razors. Yeah. They got like a set, like the shaving cream and all that stuff. Were you confident that you could deliver the razors <laughs> at the amount that you raised? I, I'd imagine nobody gets charged unless you hit your goal. That's correct. I'm assuming there's some risk is like maybe the production what, yeah. what type of risk do you have after you've raised the money? Um, so to the backer, the person that gives the money, they have 100% risk. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee they'll get what they backed. 
Um, and there are some pretty, you know, if you go down the rabbit trail, there are some pretty, um, you know, high, high profile, famous examples of people that didn't get what they paid for. Um, so you're taking a risk when you back a project. For us, uh, we you, you typically promise a delivery timeline. For us, we promised, I think it was, it was either six or eight months to deliver. It took us a year to a year and a half to deliver. We had, you know, looking back, I mean, I was just an idiot with, yeah. a, with a Kickstarter campaign. Everybody is. Yeah, I, we all are. And I, I'm not ashamed of that. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I'm making it up as I go. Yep. So, I mean, I guess looking back, it, to answer your question, I, I'm personally not confident now in my abilities back then, but I, I, I was sure was confident then. Yeah. That, you know, I was going to do whatever it took to make it happen. And there were some rough, uh, there were some really, really deep uh, low points in that campaign we got abandoned by our manufacturer who delivered, you know, defective products. And, you know, we've been, we've been all the way to the bottom and, and back up. Um, but uh, throughout it all, one of the things I've learned is that, you know, customers stick with you when they believe that you care and that you stand behind what you say. And, you know, so I proved that on that first campaign and that's been a lasting theme throughout our company over the years. I think, I think this is, this is fascinating. So you leave and on your website, it says, and, and you had just mentioned you were a, a mechanical engineer. That's correct. Every thousandth of an inch in a product counts. That's correct. Literally in our product. How did you design? So I want to go from like designing it and then go through the window of like how you source the material. You sure. just mentioned your manufacturer ditched you. Like I want to go from how does an idea make its way from your head to something you're really proud to give a customer? Yeah, um, slowly and with lots of mistakes. Yep. Um, I think it's easy to be on the outside and look at like, oh, you know, that's a really cool product. You know, they don't they don't see the the you know years. I mean, literally, it's it's not. I'm still today working on tweaking our design. Re, we're right now we're. Uh, relaunching our our manufacturing line, brand new manufacturing line. I'm going to Asia uh, next week to go in person and inspect those. So it's a, it's not it's not like a one time event. You go make a product, it's perfect, and it always is perfect. Right. So supply chain product development is is extremely difficult. I wouldn't even know where to begin if there were electrical components in our product. But to your question, I mean, I said it before and it's a little flippantly, but it's also really true. I mean, I'm, I'm making it up as I go yep. and I use what I know. You know, I have an engineering background, you know, so I know a little bit about product, um, product design um, in 3D. So computer aided design CAD. Um, so I designed our first prototypes in CAD. And I'm happy to go down whatever path you want, but real right. quickly, you know, it's. Did a, you know what? Did you have the vision in your head before you started in CAD? Yes, yes, and no. I mean, the essential, the mission, and the the idea was to build this single blade razor that I knew could shave better than multi blade razors, but also shave more safely than the existing single blade razors, kind of grand, your grandpa's razors on the market. So, and had you had you shaved with a single blade razor before, yes, and yes. you knew that. They were better. Yes. Um, so I, so many, so many rabbit trails. So I started a website with my best buddy from college <laughs> called Razorpedia.com, okay. uh, where we we reviewed razors and uh, because we both hated shaving. This, I mean, this is uh, kind of crazy. We we it that website actually did real well. We ended up selling that website. Um, <laughs> but part of that journey for me was like, I've tried no kidding every razor on the market. I hated them all, and and I fa fell down this rabbit hole of there are guys out there who like are super passionate about these old grandpa style, you know, single blade razors. And I fell down that rabbit hole, fell in love with those razors. And 
Um, so that was the inspiration for, for right. our product was my personal experience there. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So you, you design it, you start putting it into CAD. Yep. That's correct. And then what happens? Uh, you know, real kind of boots on the ground. What happened, um, is, uh, you know, it took me probably six to eight months to design this product like iteratively. So I'm of the design philosophy that, you know, iterative design. So you make something, you design it, you print it. We're fortunate today in which 3D printing is super easy to come across. I, I send my file off to a website called shapeways.com. I've got a real no kidding model of it in my hands five days later, sometimes wow. less. You know, so you, you design, print. Oh, well, that didn't work. You know, okay, well, let's tweak this. Design, print. You know, I printed probably 15 different versions until I got to a point to where, okay, I think we're good in our plastic prints because all these prints are in plastic. They're right. cheap, you know, 50 bucks. Okay, let's make a real no kidding prototype. So then we um, CNC machined a stainless steel prototype, which is what our razor is made out of today. It's a solid stainless steel product. Um, CNC machined uh, used a service called um, Proto Labs. Send the design, they CNC it. You got it in your hand five days later. I mean, it's an amazing world we live in today. Um, okay, that looks pretty decent. Uh, <laughs> let's put it up on Kickstarter. So I took that prototype, put it on Kickstarter, made a video. Video is very important on Kickstarter. And uh, 30 days later, I had $80,000 and a bunch of suckers who, you know, <laughs> <laughs> liked my idea. Yeah. And then I spent the next year and a half trying to figure out how to make not just one of them, but you know, thousands of them. So you had, you basically had orders for like 1500 or something. No, I think there were 900 backers on that first campaign. And then we kind of sold some more through the website after that, but we kind of shut it off pretty quickly after. Are you glad you raised 80,000 or do you wish you had only raised 20,000? No, the 80 was good. I didn't make a single dollar off of that. You know, if, if I had only raised 20, I would have been even more in the hole. I mean, all of that money went towards manufacturing. How many of those people like are still customers today, would you say? Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but a decent amount. Yeah. And they're some of my most passionate customers, right. you know, um, like, and they're the customers I, I love hearing from. Like, like you were there from day one. Like, God bless you. You know, yeah. thank you for your support. And um, so I don't know the number. If I had to guess, you know, maybe half of them are still with us. So if I told you I'm going to go straight. I'm going to go start a similar type company and I needed your advice. How does somebody like you, you said there was a manufacturer left. How does somebody that's starting for the first time, like get it? Cause you hear yeah. that story all the time that the, my first order was a bust. I lost a bunch of money. Yeah. Why does that happen? And is it something that people can avoid? Yeah. I mean, I can only speak from, from my experience. Um, there's no easy answer to finding manufacturers for products that I'm aware of. Yep. Uh, I've been doing this for four or five years. This isn't the only product we make. We have cosmetics, you know, we have uh, marble products, we have leather products. Um, I'm on my second or third manufacturer for a lot of these products. Um, so I'd say um, slowly is the right way to find your manufacturers. I mean, honestly, I, there's no, there's no magic formula other what than questions Google. questions do you ask? Like, um, so for me, and again, this is my philosophy. I, I don't know if this is right. the right one, but um, but this 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 episode's about it's you, all man. about me. Yeah, it's all about you. I got today. the microphone. That's it. <laughs> so what do you ask? I I try to approach uh, potential partners, and this is across the board, whether it's software we're onboarding or a new manufacturer. With just, I try to find some kind of test of your capabilities on a really really small scale. So if I can get a sample of other products they've worked on in 
in similar capacities. Like, hey, have you made razors before? Right. What do you know about razors? You know, if I can get them to make a sample, like you can't sample a razor. But for example, we have like a marble bowl, right? You know, it's a bowl. There's nothing too fancy about it. You know, so send me a sample, whatever it costs. I don't care. I want to buy that sample before I buy 7,000 of them from some random guy in India that I've never met before and hope to God that, you know, he's going to ship me what he says he's going to ship me. So I know that's not like a really rocket science way of answering your question, but it's, 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 I try to do the best I can to evaluate their capabilities and their honesty and their interest in working with me and their like investment in my idea. Like if I'm just kind of like a nobody customer to them and, you know, I can tell by the way they respond to my emails or just the way they treat me, like I'm not really interested in working with them because I'm not a priority to them. So the best suppliers I have are the ones I trust and I send them a purchase order and I go to sleep at night knowing whatever happens, they're going to make it right. Right. So again, it's not rocket science. It's about the relationship and evaluating, you know, who that person is and because you're always working with one person, right? You know, there's, there's a company, but there's one person you're working with. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful or if that answers. It's helpful. So I guess the question would just be, um, obviously the people that you've hired, um, even today, you're still having a trouble with a supplier, even mm-hmm. though you're quote unquote experienced in yeah. hiring. So, so what happened between when you hired him to what's going on today? Is it just a breakdown in communication? They got bigger and you're no longer as important or? Yeah. So, you know, everything I just said, you also have to throw in the fact that like, at least the size of our company, I mean, we're smaller. So, you know, I'm placing $100,000 purchase orders when, you know, some of their clients are placing million dollar purchase orders. So, you know, I also have to weigh in the fact that, you know, sometimes I got to take get what I can get in terms of supplier's attention. So for, for this one in particular, obviously I'm not going to mention any names, but, um, you know, they're, they're not really paying much attention to the problems we're having with our supply chain right now and, and the quality of the product they're handing me. You know, I, I kind of got a sense of that when we first started working together. Um, but I just, I went with them anyways because they were kind of my best option at the time. And, you know, hopefully one day I'll outgrow them and I'll be able to find a new supplier. But um, it is, are most of these folks domestic or international? We're all over the place. Um, all of our cosmetics or so shaving cream, aftershave, those are all here in uh, DFW. Uh, we have some awesome leather um, manufacturers in Mexico, um, India. We have our marble is made. Uh, our blades are made here in the States. And um, our actual razor handles are made in China. Is there like a consultant you go to that say, I need leather goods? And they're like, oh, you need to meet this great company in Mexico. Yeah. What's interesting, the answer is yes, there are those people that exist, you know, and there are even companies that exist that, you know, um, will help you source products. But what's really interesting to me is um, it it's like a relationship-based sort of thing, you know. you And a lot of what I do is luck. You know, I come across somebody who has a network of like, oh, this is who you need to go talk to to make that. I'll give you a perfect example. Our leather's made down in Mexico. It's the same factory where um, Saddleback Leather, and actually it's owned by Saddleback. Um, They're based here in Fort Worth or up in Keller, if you've heard of them. Fantastic products, awesome owner of the company. 
And I just bugged him until he finally put me in touch with somebody at their factory. And now I like that person is now my guy in Mexico, yeah. right? You know, he knows everybody because he's been there forever. Yep. Same in China. You know, we've got this great company we work with who I found through a, a founder who I met on Twitter, you know, and, you know, we've become friends and he's got a really successful, impressive company called Soma. It's a water bottle company. And he put me in touch with, with this manufacturer. So it's, it's funny. They teach you in the corporate world how important networking is. I think it's even more important in, as an entrepreneur. Yep. And I, I didn't get that until, you know, maybe a year or two ago. And it's amazing how many people are willing to share if you just ask. If you just ask, man, like if you just go on Twitter and ask somebody, you yep. know, they will nine times out of 10, they'll answer and they'll help you. Hashtag go to Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or email them, you know, and, th you know, don't be annoying. Don't be jerk. But I answer people's questions all the time. Yep. If I can help people, I will. And if I can't, I'll let them know. Yep. You said you're going to China mm -hmm. next week or That's in a couple correct. weeks. Yeah. Uh, next week. What will like your trip to China be like? Yeah. So because I, I always think about this. I have friends that manufacture over in China and they're like, I'm going to China to check on our stuff. And I have no concept for what that might be like. <laughs> so for me, we're standing up a new production line okay. um, with a new supplier over there. So for me, it's, it's it'll be my first time seeing these people in person. We do Skype calls all the time. You know, uh, we email every day. So we're in constant communication. But boy, I tell you what, it is difficult to have a conversation with a room of people that speak pretty dang good English, but have really thick accents. And oh, by the way, there's you know, the, the video's cutting in and out and there's echo in the room. And like, those are difficult conversations when you're talking about thousands of an inch on a product that needs to change. So what I'm going there in person is to inspect the new production line, make sure the products coming off it are right. And if they're not, you know, figure it out right then and there in person, what needs to change. So, um, for me, you know, it's, it's also relationship building, you know, seeing these people in, in person, putting, you know, locking eyes with them and letting them know there's a human behind this product they're making and, um, you know, a business that goes along with it. And um, I always find when I meet my suppliers in person and I spend time with them, they tend to take more of an interest in me and my business because they connect to, you know, a human with, with what they're making. Right. And I assume this gets better as you get, as you become a larger company with, with yeah. larger products, but how at risk are you if you put in this order for a hundred grand yeah. and they just totally shit the bed and do they have any recourse for their work or is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, that goes back to Tresk because I'm a hundred percent at risk at, yep. the, at the size I am with the resources I have. If I place this hundred thousand dollar purchase order and they don't deliver, I mean, I don't see how I come back from that. You know, we're a small low seven figures business. You know, we don't, we don't have, we don't have the capital, the resources, the the lawyers, you know, to even if I had, even if I was a $50 million business, I don't see, you know, what I could do to go after people that screw me over because I gotten screwed over before. And, you know, it's just like, well, move on. Yep. Um, and I've been ripped off by those same people that screwed me over. They, um, the same exact people that delivered defective product copied my design and tried to sell my same really? design because they have all my blueprints, um, you Are know, you patented. Uh, I'm design patented, which, you know, is not as strong as utility, but even if I was utility, yeah. what am I going to do to litigate against the Chinese company? Yep. Nothing. Um, so I don't spend much time thinking about that. So I answer your question. I mean, it would destroy me, which goes back to trust. Like I have complete trust in these guys 
Um, and you know, sure they could break it. Yeah. They could screw up, but that's all I have to go on at the end of the day is trust. I think it, I mean, I, it's in the line of work that you're in and it's this way for small businesses and a lot of industries, but you consistently hear the story and you just use the words like it could destroy me. I, I have very rarely ever read a story of somebody that developed a product that does not have a story of like, I lost yeah. almost lost everything. Yeah. I've been fortunate in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I've had some bad stuff happen, but you know, nothing that's like brought us to the brink of collapse beyond that first. Can kind you of just issue. describe what like a bad situation was like? The the worst one was that first uh, manufacturing run we did for our first Kickstarter. Okay. So we spent again, the numbers are fuzzy right now, but probably $60,000 on that purchase order. And I'll never forget it. The dude, we had an, you asked about intermediaries. So we had like a guy here in DFW, yep. still does business. Um, contact me if you, you want his uh, information because I'll give it to you to stay away from him. Um, I'll never forget. He showed up on our doorstep to personally deliver the products, wheeled them in the house, left them because we were still obviously in our house at the time, left them on, on the floor and walked out the door. And as he was walking out the door, you know, oh, by the way, there's a problem. <laughs> And, oh, tell me more about that. Oh, you know, you know, it's not that big. I mean, it was a big deal. Uh, It's difficult to explain without having, uh, you know, a visual. But the the way our razor works is there's a little cartridge that you stick into the side of the razor and you load a blade. Okay. And there was a problem with the tolerances, the thousands of an inch, to where when you load a blade, it's supposed to spit the old blade out. Like it kind of replaces the blade. And it, what it would do is it would load like a blade on top of the old blade. So now you'd have like two blades jammed in there. <laughs> and like, it was just, it wasn't like the end of the world because the razor still shaved great. If you could get the blade in there, it was just a terrible user experience. Right. So luckily it was Kickstarter. There's a lot of patience that backers have with kind of beta products and, you know, yeah. first. So we explained it to our customers. We said, here's the deal. We're not happy with it, but here's, here's the problem. Like we don't have any more money. So those of you that are happy to take this, we're going to ship it now. So let us know if you want this now. Here's the problem. We were very clear about it. Probably 50 to 60% of our backers took us up on that. And to the other 60%, we were like, we don't know what we're going to do, but uh, we'll fix this. If you want to wait till we fix this, you know, we'll put you on that list. So then we fixed it. We invested our own money. Um, you know, we've put over $100,000 of our own money into the company. And most of it was to start up a new production line scrap all those products that we couldn't ship out, start up a new production line, and then deliver what we promised to those backers, you know, some six months after that initial uh, snafu. How did you feel when he delivered that problem to you? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know that I've ever experienced PTSD, but like when, whenever I think about him or his name comes up, (laughs) I kind of twitch a little bit. Um, I've never, I mean, it was a really low point. I mean, it really was for, for me personally, emotionally, mentally, um, cause I, I put my heart and soul into yep. everything I do and you know, my name's on this and I take that seriously. Yeah. Being on your website and reading, uh, the story of the company quality, you mentioned that it's a premium product. Like yeah. that is what it, it is. Some of the nicest shaving. Yeah. It's probably the nicest I've ever seen. I have not explored Razorpedia <laughs> yet, which I do want to chat for like two seconds on that. You started this little niche, n- the mm-hmm. nichest of the niche website. The nichest of the niche. And, and you hear these like stories all the time. You would be surprised how big of an audience there is for yep. even the, why was Razorpedia successful and like how many people would 
be interested in reading about razors? It's funny. Um, there's one reason why it was successful and it was just sheer dumb luck. Um, we launched the website at the exact same time that uh, Harry's launched, which is a, if you haven't heard their ads by now, they're a big shaving brand um, and uh, actually just sold to Schick or Edgewell, which is the parent company. So we launched at the exact same time and then did a review of their razor, of course. And it was, you know, the top Google search for razor reviews at the, at the time for a long time. So, and that was when we got, we were like, Hey, people like, we thought we were just going to like, this was supposed to be just for us. Like, you know, just a couple of idiots, just, you know, <laughs> just having fun writing about razors. Yeah. And we, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments on that blog. Like people were Boy, I tell you what, I don't know what men are more passionate, not passionate, but opinionated about than razors, man. Like hundreds of comments about why Harry sucks or is awesome. And I still get those comments on my ads all day, every day. But, um, and then millions of page views, probably not millions, plural, but we had over a million page views in less than a year, 100% organic. So we were like, oh, there's something here. Like people are really passionate about razors. Yep. And my buddy, you know, he moved on. He wasn't interested in pursuing the idea any longer and, you know, good for him probably made the better idea, better decision. But I was like, there's something here. And oh, by the way, like I'm going to, I'm going to show him a razor that's better, you know, than yep. his. And so I kind of led down to where I am today. I'm going to kind of venture into the, the, uh, the Twitter world, but before, <laughs> before I do that, well, I guess the, the analogy to Twitter here is, um, you've been vocal about these things on Twitter in the past. Um, and you just mentioned, um, comments both for and against a razor. Yeah. In today's world, like your rating online, the comments online yeah. can be overbearing. A lot of people have a lot of courage behind a keyboard when yeah. they would never say things. How do you deal with, and for the record, the majority of everything I read is very, very positive. Yeah. But as humans, we tend to remember the one negative sure. that came through. How do you, how have you learned to deal with and manage negative commentary? I don't take it personal myself, but it did if, you at one did point? Did I? I take the I do not take the personal attacks well at all, which are very few and far in between. Um, but you know, like when we first had those issues on our Kickstarter campaign, I went through like there were there were a few personal attacks, you know, on my intelligence, on my you know honesty, blah blah blah, and those come up every now and then from crazies, and I, I don't they don't offend me, but I don't take them well, so. I let people know that maybe sometimes too much. Um, like there's a fine line. A founder can, can get a little snarky. And, you wrote an email back to somebody and, and posted the email <laughs> yeah, on I did Twitter. Post that one on Twitter. And it was, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's a fine line. It's a tough yeah. line to play. And, and also our brand, I like to be a little snarky with yeah. the trolls anyways, because people love that. Like if you ever get our ads and you look through the comments, people love the snarky comments because it, it shows you're a real brand and you're real people and you're not yeah. like the you know, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, you know, you know, all that corporate speak. Yep. So, but as far as negative feedback goes, here's the, here's the thing with our product. It's, we haven't really talked about this, but there's a, you know, this, I've told you this, there's a learning curve with using the razor and you have to be kind of willing to, to learn a new technique. And uh, if you're not willing to learn it, you're going to have a bad time. And we try to make that really clear in everything we do from selling all the way through instructions and everything. And some people just don't read and they have a bad time. Um, so there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like my product. It doesn't bother me. I'm not, I'm okay with that. I'm not under the delusion that hundred percent of people are going to like my product. Um, I'm fine with 
80 percent and we're you know we're much higher than that so it doesn't keep me up at night what keeps me up at night is the crazies that are you know gonna write something that's gonna go viral or you know be the top search term for our name and you know something really bad something somebody's gonna write that you know is just gonna overwhelmingly influence purchasing behavior in a way that it shouldn't because i know we make great products like if you read the the good reviews which are you know, 95% of them are good on our products. Like we've, we've literally changed people's lives, you know, allowing them to actually look forward to and enjoy and be able to tolerate shaving right. um, in ways they've never been able to before. So I don't know if that answers That's the question. A, no, it's a, it's a great uh, answer. And I think your being snarky makes the cost <laughs> of trolling higher yep. for people to do. And I think yeah. there's a big discussion on right now trolling is okay because it's free to do. Yeah. If people are put maybe on blast more or they're just yeah. saying like, look, you can say what you're going to say to me sure. and I'm going to, it's amazing the reaction, like you said, that people yeah. get out of uh, going back at the troll. Yeah. And I, and I truly believe over the next, you know, call it decade or whatever you time length, the cost of trolling is about to get a lot more expensive. I hope so. If I have to read another real men don't shave comment on my ads, I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> That's very unique. Thank you for your input. Thank you. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. So one of the things that has, that I've admired about you and um, we had talked about in the past, but we're talking about before we started recording was uh, this whole notion of being okay, being a slower growing, yeah. smaller business that grows methodically rather than yeah. this hyper capitalized business that yeah. either must grow to the size of the moon or, or die quick. Um, and you made a comment, you said, I'm very happy being a seven figure business. I yeah. would love to be an eight figure business, but I'm very yeah. happy being a seven. Let's just talk about that. And you also have a tweet right now. Congrats. That's hitting about a thousand likes as we speak on the notion of yeah. a founder that regretted taking a lot of money yeah. up front. Yeah. So I thought you put it really well and you, you stole it from Patrick, um, what's his last name? O'Shaughnessy. O'Shaughnessy. Um, to where you're either a Ben and Jerry's or an Amazon and there's, there's a hard middle ground to find. So, um, so many thoughts, let's see if we can, you know, distill them. Um, so my experience, we haven't raised any money. We're hundred percent bootstrapped. I've never raised capital. I've attempted very, not very hard. I didn't try very hard, but I've attempted a little bit to raise some money. There's a chance that we may close a small angel investment in the next maybe month or two. So I don't have experience raising venture capital, but I think I pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the public and private markets as, as much as anybody you know, who's on the outside can pay attention to. And I think what we're seeing is um, in the public markets, but I, I think more in the private markets, at least that's what I pay attention to in terms of venture capital funded companies is not a lot of success. Um, so the tweet we're talking about, there was a there was a great podcast on how I built this by a gentleman named Tristan Walker, who um, started a company called Bevel. And it's a very, very similar company to ours. We started roughly around the exact same time uh, they do a single blade razor um, they target men of color because the razor bumps is a, is a big issue for men of color and they have a very similar product line as ours but a very different story so they raised 39 million dollars launched roughly the same time we did um, grew the 39 is a public number the rest of the numbers i'm going to say are not public they're just kind of hearsay um, but they grew to roughly 30 million dollars in revenue um, 
probably not profitable. I don't know that, but I assume not profitable. And then sold for $30 million last year to Procter & Gamble. Um, but any way you slice it, that's a terrible, terrible outcome yep. for everybody involved. Um, and he, he said on this podcast, he regretted raising every cent of that $39 million. And I thought that was a refreshing and a rare trans transparent airing of regrets by a founder that never happens, especially by those, you know, that are in the public eye like he is. And I loved it so much that I kind of tweeted about it and it's blown, it's blown up today on, on Twitter, um, by, and it's, it's been liked by a lot of successful VCs. So all that backstory to say, I think what we've been through over the past, you know, eight, ish years is a lot of direct consumer e-commerce companies raising boatloads of money because there's tons of money out there. People are just handing it out left and right and, you know, trying to build these Amazon type direct consumer companies. And it's just not working for a lot of them. It's, it, it's not working for Peloton. It's not working for Smile Direct Club. You know, it's not working for WeWorks. WeWork, you know, Uber, Lyft. They're, all of those companies are down this year in their IPOs and none of them are profitable and none of them have any path to profitability uh, that I'm aware of. Um, and you hear less about the, you know, the small seven figure businesses, you know, eight figure businesses that are bootstrapped like we are, you know, we've grown you know, slowly compared to Bevel, but two X, two, three X a year, you know, we did, we'll do two, $3 million this year. We did a million dollars last year. We did half a million the year before. So That's we're awesome. growing two, three X a year, barely profitable. I mean, we're not printing cash, but, um, we're, uh, that's by design. I'm pushing the lever as hard as I can on growth while maintaining kind of break even. And, um, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough road to go down as a bootstrapper. Um, I mean, it's a really, re really tough road, but I'm not sure that VC is any easier. I don't know. I, I just wish there was a, all the VC, the people who have raised all the money, get all the press and all the, you know, they're the darlings of, you know, they're on Fast Company cover and ink. And um, I just wish there was more talk about building slow growth, small companies, um, you know, because I mean, that's, I don't know, as that's, that's my bias is that's a real, that's a real business is building a product that's a value that customers love and you can be profitable selling. And if I can't make money selling my razors, I'd rather just go out of business, right? I yep. mean, I don't want to waste the next 10 years working on something. So that is the definition of a business. Yeah, it is. It used to be at yep. least. <laughs> and it's not as fun to talk about. Yep. Um, I think it's going to become more fun to talk about in the years to come. I hope so. I really hope so. You said that you push the lever uh, to keep it's very hard and to be a small business, but you're pushing the lever to grow as quickly as you can without just going into like massive losses sure. every year. Sure. What does what's pushing the lever mean? Um, for us, it's uh, trying to reach more customers and, and acquire new customers, which is expensive um, online. So it's Facebook ads. It's uh, it's not just Facebook. It's everything. So, you know, this year we moved out of our garage. So we got an office now. We've got two new employees. You know, we've uh, we're expanding our product line. We're expanding our marketing. You know, we're investing heavily in our creative. So our photography, our social media, our website. We launched a brand new website last year. We're launching a brand new website this year, you know, and you're also constantly testing, you know, what's working for us. So we've tested, you know, like influencer marketing never really worked for us. You know, we've tested 
Pinterest marketing never works for us. So you kind of have to throw away money to find what works. Yep. And so, um, but then at the same time, kind of pushing as hard as you can on channels that do work. So Facebook marketing works very well for us. Instagram works well, but you can't just like go from spending 5k one month to like, you know, 300k the next month on Facebook. It's right. just like constantly, it's, it just feels like a constant uphill battle to just increase and just kind of grow and supply chain investing in inventory. I mean, it's just, that's what I mean by pushing. It just yeah. feels like whack-a-mole. Like I'm constantly pushing on all the parts of the business to try to make it grow. Is the most successful channel for you Facebook? Uh, yeah, currently. I'm hoping it won't be, you know, uh, I don't want to be a one channel company. What's but, the uh, second most successful? Uh, we've had uh, really exciting test results with YouTube advertising okay. um, that we're going to start investing in a lot more uh, next month. So so can you describe to me what a test is like for you? So you're like, okay, there's this YouTube ad <laughs> thing. I'm going to put $5,000 towards yeah. it and I'm going to see how many orders come in off of that. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it, that's. I mean, you basically just hit it on, on the head. Like for YouTube, like it was me like... Ah, We'll see what happens. You know, I, I put this ad up on YouTube that, you know, I think I've spent 5K on and it performed amazingly well, which is for us means like a 3X return on ad spend is is good or is great for us. So we're happy with that, you know. So, oh, wow, yeah, that was great. Three, you know, 3X, you know, put some more money into it. And so that's a test for us. We did the same thing with Pinterest that did the exact opposite. You know, we had like a negative 500% return on our, you know, we spent 3K and probably made $300 or yeah. I don't even remember. So, um, yeah, that's what I mean by a test. How many people look at the YouTube ad and how many people actually make the purchase? What's the conversion rate you're hoping um, for and something like that? Do you know? It's been a while that I don't know the numbers. Okay. Um, and to be honest, I don't look at those numbers. I'm more concerned about return on ad spend. Yeah. I don't look at cost per click, CPMs. The only thing I care about is if I put a dollar in, how many am I getting out? Yep. Um, and so I don't even know that I ever knew what that number was, conversion rates. I'm sure it's in the low, you know, point something percent, you know, because um, I can get a lot of people to click on an ad, but converting is a whole different whole different blogging. I'm assuming when you started the business, I, you obviously probably knew you had to advertise, maybe not knew as in how important it was. Yeah. When did it kind of dawn on you that becoming good at digital advertising is going to be a key part of my job? We started really investing in it two years ago. Okay. So for roughly the first two years of our business, we were, I call that our Kickstarter phase. We did the first campaign and the second campaign. And so that's how we got all of our growth was through those. And again, I did advertise for one of those campaigns. Um, but uh, when we wanted to graduate into more of a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, kind of move past the Kickstarter phase. Um, not that I'm saying I'm past that or beyond, you know, I'm way, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with Kickstarter. Um, but once we decided, okay, strategically, we're kind of out of that phase, we're going to invest in our online direct-to-consumer presence, that's when we started really kind of ramping up. So we started, you know, spending three, four, five K a month on Facebook. And I did it myself for a year, probably slowly ramping it up. Um, and then I finally reached out to agencies. I've been through a couple agencies, um, by now, some that did poorly, some that did okay. And the one we're with now does very, very well. 
So I've gotten that off my plate to where they're running our account right now. Are they local or? No, they're not. Uh, they're in California. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And they focus, uh, they specialize in DTC companies? They do. And that's what was key for us. We The very first agency we hired, nothing against them. Um, they're, they're local. And so I prioritized local over skill. Yeah. And it turns out they had zero, they were all, they had tons of Facebook ad experience. That's what they did, but they had no direct consumer e-commerce Facebook ad experience. So if anybody's out there wanting to start an e-commerce brand hiring agency, you got to find somebody. It's a very vast, um, varied career. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but just because you can run ads for like a university doesn't mean you can run ads for a direct consumer brand. Yep. We're experiencing that uh, in so many parts of our business right now by yeah. hiring people through Upwork or yeah. Yeah, we do that. Um, agencies out of town. Is I mean, we live in Fort Worth, but Manhattan is only a click away Yeah, um, or a phone call away. Yeah. And that hurts a little bit because I want to I I wanna hire local people, but I, the, the skills as far as I'm aware, are not here. If if anybody knows differently listening, please contact yeah. me because I would love to hire more local people that sure. can help me with what I do. We, we try and do it first. Um, yeah. But the world is big. And yeah. for anybody that's on a a small budget that needs to get the biggest bang for their buck, there, yeah. are, there are resources. Yeah. Back to real quick, kind of the Ben and Jerry's versus Amazon. So yeah. uh, there was an article that uh, I read and it really impacted me. And it was basically just saying, you're either a Ben and Jerry's business that mm -hmm. starts with one ice cream shop in Vermont and grows slowly over 20 or 30 years into yeah. this very robust, profitable, less risky company, or you're an Amazon, which is going after a market that has much less competition. Ben and Jerry's, they started, there was ice cream everywhere. You're getting into a business with competitors. You get into Amazon, and you're in this world where there's not a lot of competition. The goal, the goal is to grow so quickly and dominate everything yeah. and hope um, for these huge outcomes. And, and it really just struck me as like, you have to make a decision as a company really early on, which one are you going to be? Yeah. And you can't really tote the line to where you're kind of a Ben and Jerry's company, kind of an Amazon. And yeah. what we had just been talking about, um, which I was really, is really cool to hear you say is like, I am a proud Ben and Jerry's company. Yeah is the media does not want Ben and Jerry's companies yeah. to talk about. They want the Amazon and the biggest mistakes I think I've made even in the last year have been toting the line of trying to be more like an Amazon company mm -hmm. in ways of, uh, in more ways of trying to be a bigger, more grandiose company um, without continuing to believe in the slower growth. And so um, I, I wanted to to clarify on that and, and then lead into, you had just made a comment I'm in a struggle right now of do I hire now yeah. or do I wait six months? Cause yeah. you kind of know you need somebody. Um, why are you struggling with that thought? Um, is it purely cash based? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, we need more help, um, in every aspect of our business. Um, but you know, being small, we only have enough budget for, you know, so many people. And right now that budget's maxed out. So I know without a doubt, like I can see the next six months and there's, there's for a couple of reasons, some big growth ahead for us. And so the question I need to answer, and I've really already answered it is like, do I hire ahead of that growth? Like take the hit now, you know, um, to the bottom line, hire that growth, get ready for it. Or do I just, you know, muscle through it, grin and bear it and like hire like on the other side of the growth curve. And when I've got like, the cash to do it. Um, 
and it hurts as a founder that's constantly trying to you know grow to to i feel like i'm um holding my company back by not hiring but i also feel like i'm giving it more flexibility and more room to live you know in case things don't go the way that i project that they will right, right? or you know and the last thing i've always wanted to do is hire somebody and then fire them you yep. know the next month yeah, that's my that's my challenge. I think that's probably every small business owner's challenge. Are you going to need that person in the door six months from now, or you're going to need to start thinking about it six months from now? I need them in the door right now. You know, I need um, um, there. And when I say need, there are so many things that I know. If I had somebody doing them better than we were doing them now, we would show. You grow. We would show really good results. So, for example, like SEO, we do really SEO search engine optimization, you know, the writing blogs and making sure you rank properly um, for key key terms. Every article we've written about a key term, it's one to three ranked for what we wanted it to rank for. So if I just had somebody doing that all day, every day, like we would own the internet for shaving terms. Um, we just a couple idiots sitting around writing some blogs. For some reason, Google likes them. So yeah. I know if I threw somebody at that, like, I don't care what you do. Just go make me rank for what you think I should rank for. I know that would show returns. You know, our email marketing does very well, but we spend very little time optimizing it. I know if I had somebody to throw at that tomorrow, it would show returns. So that's what I mean by I need to hire now. But um, you kind of just answered your question. I kind of did. Um, yeah. So if you if you're good at SEO or email marketing, give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> um, my two cents, not that you asked for it, uh, is every time I've been in that predicament and I found the right person, their yeah. assets, and they're going to draw the, they're going to, they're going to bring it in for you. It's funny you say that. That's probably really gets more to the crux is that I just, I haven't, maybe it's more, I haven't found the right person yeah. or even really tried that hard to find that person just because I have not had the time to yeah. do it. And that's, it's, it is the biggest struggle as small yeah. company is finding time to run your business and recruit. Recruiting is like a full-time job. If there was somebody that walked in my door tomorrow and said like, Hey, I can do X, Y, Z for you. And I was like, I need that. You know, when can you start? Um, yep. And I was convinced they could do it well for me. I'd probably hire them, but that's not really a great way to, way to hire as far we've, as I'm aware. We've been hiring copywriters and storytellers on Upwork yeah. to write content for us. Yeah. And it has been fascinating. Really? You might post a job on Upwork and just say, this See. is this is a blog post I want to write. Hire somebody to do it. It has been, we were almost going to hire a copywriter Mm -hmm. We're a real estate company, but we also do a lot of marketing. Yeah. Um, and we've we've actually turned to Upwork and are doing a That's ton good. of content writing through people all over the country. That's good. I like yeah. that. Um, we just, do. We have done Upwork. We need to. I'm going to take that advice. We need yeah, to do that. No, it's huge. So I'm going to switch a little bit more. What makes a great shave? <laughs> why is one shave better than another well i, I mean we've kind of had this conversation i don't think yeah. you struggle with the things that a lot of guys struggle with okay um we're like it sounds like you have a very not sensitive face i like, look at this face right? yeah i mean it's 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 baby face yeah right? i mean you, you've you probably don't have issues with the razor burn or ingrown hairs you probably just run a razor across your face and you're happy is yeah. that is that right pretty much so for for guys like me except for right here right there i get that spot yes yeah. right there yeah um for guys like me and this is funny because it's my whole family it's all my brothers and there's more of us out there than you realize one out of three guys uh, struggles with problems with shaving um and it's it's higher for again people of color 
um, uh, like it is a painful, excruciating experience from not, not the act of doing it, the after effect. So, you know, I've got this, my whole neck is red. I've got bumps on my neck. Um, my cheeks are usually fine. Um, it's for me, it's my neck and for everybody it's different because our hair all grows different ways and directions and we, we have different skin, we have different hair type, we're all different. So, um, for me, a perfect shave is getting done with a shave and actually not hurting at the end of it. Like for me and for a lot of guys, that means using a single blade razor, uh, because a multi-blade, um, by definition, the way that it's been marketed since the dawn of the multi-blade was the first one lifts and tugs the hair and the second one cuts it underneath the hair. And th- that process, plus the, plus the fact that you're dragging six blades across your skin is what causes the irritation and the ingrown hairs. And so when you use a single blade, it requires a little more finesse, um, not a lot more once you learn it. But uh, the result is when you learn the technique, a much, 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 much better shave. So do you have to go over the same hair with a single blade like twice or because of the way you have it designed, it's a better cut on the first one? Um, yeah, I don't know that it's a better cut. Um, it's a cleaner cut. It yeah. cuts at the surface of the skin. Um, what? And I don't know, it's been a while since I shaved with the multi-blade razor. I don't know how many guys do this with multi-blades, but you tend to have to, not have to, but one of the techniques with shaving is you do a two-pass shave. So you shave once with the grain, the direction that your skin, your hair grows, then you re-lather. And if you want a closer shave, you shave again against the grain um, to get that really smooth shave. For a lot of guys like me, I can't shave against the grain yep. because that's what causes the the trouble. So, How important when is it that you started the company focused on doing one thing really well, which was the razor? And then the second question is, when did you decide to start adding more products to the the line? Yeah, um, I think it's a very important thing. And going back to, you know, the story about um, this guy um, who I tweeted about who started this company like ours, one of the other things he said in this podcast was like every, uh, my biggest mistake was launching new products line too quickly. And the guy only has like three product lines. So Mm -hmm. that's saying something. Um, and, and again, I'm not dunking on him. Like that's a very candid, I, I agree with him. And so we started really, my, my goal has always been to perfect our foundational product line. Like we'll always, we're going to expand to so much more than shaving, but we'll always be known as a shaving brand, right? Cause that's where we started or at least foundationally as a shaving brand. Um, so if I don't get that right, like what's the point of launching any other products? So I've spent a lot of time, we're already on version two of the razor version three, maybe will be next year. You know, we're on version two of all of our formulations of our cosmetics. Um, so I, I wanted to spend a lot of time to get that right before, you know, foundation isn't right. You know, what you build on top of it is worthless. So I spent that time getting it right. But then at the same time, knowing the vision for the company I want to grow into, and, you know, quite frankly, the, the retention rate I want to have with my customers and repeat purchases, you know, the products we sell by design, um, maybe because I'm not a very good business person, uh, lasts a long time. So our <laughs> blades last a long time, our shaving cream lasts a long time. So we're not constantly selling those products to them. So I have to have additional products to offer them because it costs a lot to acquire that customer. I sure as heck better you know, offer them a lot of products so that I can recoup that investment. Um, And not in a way where it's just transaction based, but I view it it as like, you're in the family. Like 
Yeah. Why would you why would you buy shaving cream from me and skincare somewhere else? You should buy it all together. Right. And like me as a customer, that's how I shop. You know, I go all in on, you know, whatever, Apple or whatever. I want everything. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so that's how I view it. Like I'm I'm helping my business, but I'm also helping my customer. You know, we're we're launching a small skincare line next month and we're gonna kind of build out, you know, grooming and body care and the whole, you know, the whole nine yards when it comes to the bathroom in the same way that, you know frankly, Dollar Shave Club has done. They've got, you know, the whole bathroom covered. We're going to do the same thing, but in a more kind of upscale way. Do you have a mentor or somebody that, or a group of people that you would already think a bunch or in 10 years when you look back, will say these are people that kind of changed everything for me? I don't. And I wish that wasn't my answer. I've learned from a lot of people. That's one of the reasons why we keep talking about Twitter. I don't know. I don't know why I'm embarrassed to talk about Twitter. I, I don't you don't have what. to be. We talk about <laughs> it on great. this podcast all the time. It is my go-to. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm on there is because I to learn from people. It's, yeah. it's amazing how much knowledge is shared on there and how many people, like we talked about earlier, are willing to interact with you directly. So this guy... <laughs> this guy I tweeted about, um, we've been DMing all morning. Dude's raised $40 million. He's got a huge company that is owned by Procter & Gamble. You know, he's a competitor, a direct competitor. And we're tweeting that. You're, we're talking to each other this morning on Twitter. Okay, that would not have been possible otherwise. And I respect the guy 100%. So things like that, I've been able to develop those kind of relationships. I wouldn't say I have any mentors that I've, you know, um, developed on Twitter, but, but I, I've got relationships with people that I respect who are far beyond me in experience, um, that I can kind of lean on, but I have no board of advisors. I've always kind of wondered if that's, that's a mistake. Um, you know, there's, there's no, there's not a lot of people in DFW or at least in Fort Worth that do what I do. So yep. it's hard, you know, and I'm not saying you have to do exactly what I do to, to get, be right. able to help me, but it's been kind of a lonely journey to be entirely honest with you. And I actually, you connected me with Brandon yeah. and uh, I've kind of shared that with him that like, you know, ideally, again, I'm proud to be from Fort Worth and I'm proud to have, you know, I think one of the, you know, largest e-commerce companies here in Fort Worth, um, yeah. <laughs> as far as I can tell, um, uh, there's a couple other that are much larger, but, um, that I'm aware of, but anyways, I would hope that, you know, maybe we can have that kind of community one day. And yeah. I, I'd love to be an instrumental part of building that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the push for Fort Worth to have a better kind of ecosystem. Yeah. It, it, it's there. Um, it just takes people like yeah. you just starting stuff. Yeah. And it's not it's not just e-commerce. It's just yeah. startups in general. Yep. Um, you know, Austin has a really robust startup scene. You know, Dallas does now. And um, I, know, I know we could... Uh, here's what I, I told Brandon. I, I think if we don't start trying to figure out a, a way to develop that scene here in Fort Worth, we're going to start losing a lot of young people to yeah. Austin and Dallas because sure. they're all they're, I'm not the only one that left his corporate job, you know, to start something and, or, or dreams of doing that. And that's kind of, that's what people my age want to do with their lives. Yep. And I mean, back to the simple fact of because of things like Twitter, you know, you don't have they don't have to be in Fort Worth. Yeah. You can get a lot of information That's true. from everywhere. And so um, it's it's kind of a double whammy there. Yeah. All right. We are kind of coming down uh, the finish line here. Um, if you had to give your 21-year-old self some advice of all these years of great wisdom that you've picked yeah. up, what would you tell them? Um, 
gosh, that's tough because it would it would um, it would center around my career choices. Um, I, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change my twenties, but I do regret. I feel like I wasted a lot of them because I spent eight and a half years, you know, building skills that I have no use for now. I guess I wish I had kind of made the leap sooner. That's yeah. probably and maybe even immediately after college. Like it's never been easier to start a business, have an idea to, to launch something. It's also, in my opinion, never been harder or more expensive, but it's also like, um, I would have encouraged myself to think bigger than just like doing what I was kind of trained to do was get a job, get a, get a degree, go get a corporate job and, you know, do that for the rest of my life, which at the time I graduated in 2008, you know, that was the, that was still the kind of the narrative. I don't think it's any longer the narrative, but, um, and it's not a bad narrative. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying getting a corporate job is a bad thing. I just wish I had been aware of, you know, some of my giftings and my skills and the opportunities that are out there beyond just, you know, the nine to five life. It's a loaded question, but why do you think you didn't see that for eight years? Um, it's it's a really, I thought about that. It's a really simple answer. I just I wasn't trained. I wasn't aware of it. You know, my dad, um, you know, worked in the oil and gas field for 40 years, yeah. you know, um, working for the man and God bless him for that. He took care of us. He provided for us and, uh, I respect the man, um, greatly. So I don't, I don't hold that against him, but entrepreneurship was, you know, never a use word, a word used growing up, you know, yeah. we didn't start the lemonade stands, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it's just, it, to be honest, the most, it's so funny. I remember the most like, um, intimidating things when I first started the business. And one of them was like, how do I even, how do I even start a business? Like, is there paper, like what paperwork <laughs> do I do? Like, I didn't need, like that was the most intimidating thing to me. And yeah. turns out that was like the easiest part. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like what, what does it even mean? Like LLC, like all those things that they were so intimidating to me. And those are all the easy parts. I literally have these flashbacks of, starting the LLC, but I couldn't grasp things like, well, I own this yeah. can of Waterloo in my office. And it's like, no, the LLC owns it. And I'm like, no, this piece of paper doesn't own it. It's like, it was this, yeah. I used to think about that. Uh -huh. I couldn't grasp how a, what an entity, right. I was waiting for like the business person to walk in and go, yeah. I'm your LLC and that's what <laughs> that's that my is. Can of soda. But it is, it's this, uh, it's our imagination. The LLC is. Yeah. And, is and tax thing. stuff and corporate and structuring, you know, it still kind of throws me for a loop, but, um, like, but anyways, that's the easy part. I guess my final question, um, how do you know if you've had a, a good day? Oh Lord. Oh gosh. <laughs> probably the hardest question you've asked how do you like how do you define yeah success because it's it's kind of uh, one of those things that what was successful to you a year ago yeah. might not be successful to you today yeah it's funny i was talking to my barber this morning um and i told him you know we've had a lot of successes um that we should kind of take credit for and kind of celebrate i i never really celebrate never um and you know sometimes you got to celebrate um like we're going to grow at least 2x, probably closer to 3x this year. Um, you know, we've got products that our customers love. We're, you know, we got four employees. We got a new office. We're onboarding with a new, anyways. Um, so, like, um, I try to stop and, like, take stock of the things that we should be proud for and celebrate. Um, 
uh, I don't know if this is a good answer, but like, it's a lot easier to, I don't know why, but it's easier at the end of the day now that I have a daughter, um, like to, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I can celebrate successes better or like just not let the failures or the worries get me down more because like when I go home and I'm with her at the end of the day, like it all melts away yep. in, in a way that you just can't explain to people that don't have kids. Yeah. Um, that's and, awesome. Um, so that helps a ton and you know, just, I, I don't know, I'm just, uh, I think counting the wins and, um, never being satisfied, but at least counting and celebrating and then getting back to work. It is, I think it's every entrepreneur's, uh, biggest challenge is celebrating the way if you, if I told you when you were a 500,000 revenue company that in two years, you'll be 3 million. Yeah. You would have been ecstatic. Oh, like that wouldn't have made any sense to me at all. But now I'm like, Oh, now I need yeah, to get to 3 million. Like, okay. I need to get to 10. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I wrote in, I think in the summer of 2017, I wrote down, I don't know why I, I'm not a person that does this sort of thing a lot, but I wrote down where I want to be in one year. And it was three simple things. And one of them was like, I think it was $500,000 in revenue. And like, I was, I was going to be like, we made it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I keep that piece of paper because it's like, just to remind myself, like, um, you know, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but just kind of remind myself of the, of the win. Yep. We talked about this and I'll wrap it up, but, uh, I think in, in business, it's just like from when we were kids, you beat level one and then you had to go play yeah. level two and yeah, then yeah. you played level three. And in business, um, I think we always have these illusions that we're going to like reach this spot yeah. and like everything's going to be okay once we get there. Yep. And what you really happen is you get there and you just have a whole new set of problems that you didn't have before. Yep. Um, and so James had said this and it stuck with me for a long time, but it, it was the journey really is the destination. Is, yeah. there, there is no destination. It's, it's enjoy it as it comes yeah. because, um, and that is, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to count the wins, but if, if as you look in the rear view mirror, you probably have more wins than you could yeah. say grace over. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's cheesy and it's easy to say sitting around, you know, with some microphones in a room, but it's so right. Like it's, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Like it, I've, I've always been able to say this confidently. Like if I had to shut my business down tomorrow, like we went bankrupt, close it down tomorrow, I, there would be zero regrets, um, yep. leaving my old job, you know, giving this a shot. Um, and I can say that confidently. Yeah. Um, and, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's about the journey and, and learning and, um, and having fun. Like if we're not having fun, what else are we doing? I love it, man. Well, thank you for taking some time out of your day to come chat with me. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. You can also email us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.